0: Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, and I'm your host every second Monday of the month. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Tom Messinger, naturopathic physician practicing in southeast Portland about Lyme disease. Lyme disease, contracted through bites from a black-footed deer tick and caused by the Borrelia burgdorferi bacteria, was once thought of as a disease only contracted in the northeastern region of the United States. However, with the spread of housing into once rural areas, the overabundance of deer and white-footed mice, another carrier of the black deer tick, and climate change, Lyme disease has spread throughout the country and throughout the world. We need to be aware that one can contract Lyme in Oregon. Dr. Tom Messinger, prior to becoming a naturopathic physician, was a registered nurse for 23 years and spent most of his career working in inner-city emergency rooms, His particular focus in practice now is working with patients who have Lyme disease or chronic Lyme disease and are suffering from symptoms associated, such as chronic fatigue, chronic pain, fibromyalgia-like symptoms, and digestive complaints. He's an active member of the International Lyme-Associated Disease Society, otherwise known as ILADS. Dr. Tom Messenger, welcome to Health Watch.
1: Thank you, Ellen. I'm glad to be here.
0: So... Oregonians are susceptible to Lyme disease through tick bites, and can you tell us what you know about it in in Oregon and how people might be able to protect themselves?
1: Um, it is Borrelia, the organism that causes Lyme, has been found in ticks in Oregon, in the gorge, um, out in the in Mount Hood area. Um, so it is. Um, possible to contract exposure. Also, what they've been finding is that a lot of ticks are being uh, taken through migration because they attach to songbirds and other kinds of migratory birds. And so it is even possible to contract Lyme even in a city, in an urban environment. It doesn't have to be out in the woods. Um, Yeah, so as far as Protection. I mean, the main thing would be to do if you're going into areas that would be more of a high risk for Lyme disease, such as woods or areas with you know tall grasses, that you want to closely ha- and do inspection post uh, hiking or post being in that area and. Um, conventionally, the CDC recommends using something called DEET, which has been shown to be 99% effective to repel ticks. And that's a bug Um, repellent, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is uh, sort of a harsh chemical. So as a naturopath, I I don't necessarily recommend that for myself um, or my patients. Um, There is a formula that was devised by Stephen Buhner, a famous lime herbalist um, with essential oils that has also been shown to be 99% effective. The formula is actually in his book called Healing Lime, the second edition. Um, And someone can order all of those essential oils online by looking at that formula. Or the easier alternative would be uh, you can actually get the formula through a compounding pharmacy called Montana Pharmacy. It's Montana, F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, and they have a website. I think it's montanapharmacy.com, and you'll, if you, you know, put in the search, you know, ticks, and you'll see their different um, size formulas that they have, and you can use that as a repellent.
0: What are some of the oils in that that formula?
1: Um, The... The main oil um, that is really strong is a kind of a rhododendron. It's not your common rhododendron. It used to be they taxonomists or um, botanists reclassified this plant. It used to be leadum palustrum, a, a, a famous homeopathic remedy. Um, so now it's called rhododendron. And also um, lemon uh, Eucalyptus oil, which has been shown to be over ninety percent effective itself um, in studies in repelling ticks by itself, but the um, synergistic um, combination of all of these oils makes it up to ninety nine percent effective.
0: But you still have to check yourself out when you come. Oh yeah,
1: you definitely d- still want to still want to check yourself out, and if you have a if you notice a tick on you that's attached. Um, in order, to, you know, there's many um, online. You'll see many recommended ways to remove a tick, and you don't want to like try to suffocate the tick with Vaseline or burn the tick because what that does is stresses the tick, and the chances of them injecting organisms from the saliva into the body are increased. So, what's recommended to do is you you take a tweezer, preferably one that has sort of a pointed end, and you. You get as close to the skin, your skin surface, as possible, and you pull straight upward. You don't want to pull really quickly, and you don't want to twist because that's that. If you do that, the chances are that you could break off the tick, and the mouth could still be in the skin. If that does happen, then you just you have to work on getting the skin uh, the mouth out.
0: But if someone does have a tick bite, uh, do you recommend, what do you recommend, I mean, to do to just make sure, oh, my gosh, did I get Lyme? Because sometimes they say you have to have this razor, I mean, this uh, bullseye. Right. But not all people get that bullseye, Correct.
1: Very, very, very true. Um, So... And that's a very big misconception even in um, the regular medical field is that um, studies have shown that only 30 to at most 50% of people that have documented cases of Lyme had a bullseye rash or any rash. That's that's one thing. Secondly is the rash does not have to be a bullseye if the person even gets a rash. Um, Only 32% of rashes with documented cases of Lyme actually have that bullseye appearance where bullseye meaning the rash expands over time, over three to 30 days, and this, the center part of the rash actually clears to become normal s- skin color, so it looks like a bullseye. But rashes could just look like a little oval uh, red area. It doesn't have to be a bullseye. In most of the cases, it isn't if there is a rash. So, yeah, there doesn't have to be a, a bullseye. Um, what's recommended per ILADS guidelines, that organization that you had mentioned at the beginning, is that a person gets with no rash and no symptoms, they still get prophylactic antibiotic treatment with doxycycline twice a day for 20 days. Um, The reason for that recommendation is because they have done large studies on people that have gotten prophylactic antibiotic treatment for shorter than 20 days, and a very uh, large percent of them go on to develop persistent Lyme disease. So... um, that's one of the recommendations. If the person has a, an actual bullseye rash, the recommendation is for antibiotic treatment four to six weeks um, prophylactically. If they actually have symptoms from the tick bite, which could be low-grade fever, the common symptoms would be low-grade fever, neck pain, headaches. It seems to go into the nervous system. Central nervous system causes a lot of neck pain and headaches. Then the... It's a minimum of six weeks of treatment of antibiotics and then um, re evaluation and, and continue treatment accordingly if indicated. Um, now, as a naturopath, you know, I when I'm treating chronic Lyme, a lot of times I'm not actually even using antibiotics or I'm using it very sparingly. I'm doing other things. Um, but in the case of acute Lyme, for Or prevention of acute Lyme, I might employ antibiotics um, just because uh, prevention and I can do things around preventing the side effects of antibiotics.
0: Which are gut issues. Yeah, which are mostly
1: gut issues. So I'm giving probiotics and I'm giving some either herbal or a very safe prescription antifungal to protect a person from getting candida overgrowth. Mm -hmm. And I'm giving high dose probiotics. And I will also give a formula called MCBB2 from Beyond Balance. It's a it's a lime herbal formula, and that is very. Um, Effective at prevention and also treatment of Lyme, and I will give a, a homeopathic that leadum at, at a high potency one M. I'll usually give that twice a day for at least a week because that's really good for um, prevention, also for tick bites when they get a, there's an exposure. So
0: there, it sounds like you know there are two different types of Lyme. There's this acute Lyme, like you said, with the you know low grade fever, neck pain, headaches, etc., and then there is this monstrous thing called chronic Lyme. I know we've seen it in our clinic where people have actually are diagnosed after years of basically having horrible symptoms, you know, unexplained fatigue, uh, brain fog, um, pains that come and go, headaches that come and go, digestive issues, you know, that they've run around from one doctor to the next, and then, you know, they're tested for Lyme. So Talk about this thing called chronic Lyme and, and, and the mechanism of it and and how we're... Yeah, let's start yeah. with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, there, you know, there are two camps, one uh, in conventional medicine, one believing that chronic Lyme doesn't exist, and one that does, the ILADS organization. Um, and there are actually over 700 studies in peer-reviewed journals that have... Proven the persistence of the Borrelia in the human body after treatment, so chronic Lyme definitely does exist. Um, and the you know the um, the symptoms that you described are are very um, suggestive of Lyme. You know they could be other things, but what a lot of us are seeing is that. Uh, patients have been experiencing these symptoms um, sometimes for ye- many, many years, and they've often even gotten some very good treatment, but yet, you know, especially naturopathic treatment that, you know, maybe um, when things were not as complicated with environmental issues and toxicities that we were seeing, like 30 years ago, patients would respond, but now they're not. And so when I when I have... Um, when I first started getting into studying Lyme, it's because patients that normally I would have expected to get better doing the things that we do as naturopathic physicians, they did not respond. I knew something deeper was going on. So um, so as far as the, the testing for chronic Lyme, um, I'll, I'll sort of tell you that first I'll tell you the standard of care for testing of what it's commonly done um, and then some reasons why the standard doesn't work and the testing that I, I have been using with my patients. So um, if a person is... Ex- is experiencing symptoms that they think are due to persistent or chronic lyme disease and they go to their doctor the cdc recommends doing what's called an ELISA test
0: and this is the center for disease control
1: correct the center for disease control Mm -hmm. which um you know they put out guidelines that um conventional doctors and even naturopaths are you know are, are do follow and um, so the ELISA test, the first test is done. If that test comes back negative, then the, the CD says the person does not have Lyme disease and no further testing is indicated.
0: And what is an ELISA test for our listeners?
1: It's, it's a general antibody screening test to see if a person's been exposed to Borrelia.
0: And it's a blood test?
1: Yeah, it's a blood test. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that there's been a lot of studies done on it and it um, Only 30 to 50% of the people that have documented cases of Lyme had a positive ELISA test. And we, when I say documented cases of Lyme, I'm saying by blood culture. They later went on, had blood cultures done, and Borrelia was found in the blood. So they know they, that they had that infection. But... The CDC says if you have a negative ELISA, you shouldn't do any more testing. So, a lot of times, you know, I've seen patients, and you know, we're trying to, you know, they come to me not knowing what's going on, and I said, "Have you been tested for Lyme?" They say, "Yes," and my doctor says, "I don't have it." Well, they it turns out they had the ELISA test, and no further investigation was done. When we did further testing, it turns out they did have it. Um, so that's one of the problems with the, the ELISA. The second, if the ELISA does come back positive, the next tier of testing is what's called the Western blot. That has some inherent issues with it also, unfortunately. So that also is an antibody test, but it's it's more um, detailed than the ELISA. And it has something called bands. It's different proteins that they're testing to see if a person has antibodies to any of those proteins that could be from Borrelia. So, um, some years back, when the um, they developed the they developed the Lyme vaccine. The Lyme vaccine uh, was developed by the two most important bands on the Western blot, bands 31 and 34. And um, so the CDC removed those bands from the Western blot test. Vaccine went to market, had a lot of side effects. It was pulled from the market six months later, and the CDC never reinstated those two most important bands. So when a person gets a Western blot from a local lab you know, or a national lab that's not specializing in Lyme disease, they don't have those two most important band so a person could have a negative western blot um simply because those bands aren't being tested the other issue with the western blot is it's an antibody test it's testing your immune system and borrelia by its very nature suppresses the immune response so a person could still have lyme disease even if they have a really good western blot done and still have a negative western blot
0: and the borrelia is the bacteria you're saying
1: correct borrelia is the bacteria
0: it's a sneaky little devil yeah
1: and forgive me if I'm talking fast, but I know there's a lot to no, fit in yeah, in a half please, hour. Please it in. Um, so um, I, will someti- I will sometimes do Western blots as a screening, but the test that I'm using now predominantly is um, called a urine PCR test from a lab called DNA Connections, C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N-S. Um, It's a urine test, and it's testing for the actual presence of the DNA of the organism in the urine. And um, so it's not only testing for Borrelia, but there's these other infections that are often transmitted via tick saliva to the the host, in this case a human, um, with a tick bite. So it's testing for multiple infections. Um, So if the person has the DNA of this organism in their urine, it came from their body, we know for sure they have the infection.
0: So this is a kind of a, this is really an infection that, would you call this, it's pretty active, but it's pretty hidden to conventional testing, it sounds like.
1: Yes, and that's one of the problems with uh, the diagnosis is that you can have the infection and not have positive testing. And... um I, there's, there's, ILADS actually says that Lyme disease, their statement is that Lyme disease is actually a clinical diagnosis based on exposure risk, based on physical symptoms and history, um, and ruling out other causes of their symptoms. So a person could actually be diagnosed with Lyme per the ILADS guidelines without having a positive test. I mean, I, I like to have the assurance of, of positive data, so I, I um, that's where the urine PCR test does come in really handy.
0: So, for those people that you've been working with in your clinic with you know chronic intractable kind of Lyme disease, really, um, what what's the, what kind of treatment? What's the prognosis? Are you seeing people getting better? How long does it take? I mean, I know everybody's different, and that's not really a, a really fair question because everyone is different. But what are you yeah. seeing? Yeah. Um,
1: People are getting better. I I would say the majority of my patients are getting better. I have some that I am struggling with. And what I have learned and through... Conferences and speaking to experts is that when a person is not responding to Lyme treatment and you're doing all the other things that need to be done with Lyme treatment, that it often there's a component of mold toxicity in the system. And so, I've been recently doing a lot of work up for patients regarding mold. So, a person could be exposed to mold and they can harbor those mold or the mold organisms and the mold toxins in their body and it can cause all the same symptoms as Lyme.
0: So you're saying that if someone has the Lyme disease within the system or like the DNA in the blood etc does th- that makes them more susceptible to mold? Or what not
1: I- necessarily, but it seems like the, a lot of patients that have Lyme also have that, also have mold toxicity. So there's actually a genetic test that's done through LabCorp that you can determine if a person has a genetic susceptibility where they can't their immune system can't identify the Lyme organism from, and eliminate it from their body and also mold toxins, if they can't identify mold toxins. And 24% of the population has a genetic defect where if they get exposed to mold toxins or mold, they cannot, their immune system cannot identify the mold and can't eliminate it from their body, so it colonizes and in the body. And the two main places it colonizes is in the gastrointestinal tract and the sinuses. so there's something called the biotoxin pathway. It's this biochemical pathway of what happens when a person has Lyme in their in their system and causes all these downstream effects of hormone disruption and, and leaky gut and et cetera. And um, mold actually goes along the same exact biotoxin pathway and causes all the same symptoms. So when a person is not responding to Lyme treatment Oftentimes, mold is part of the picture, and what's been found is that the mold needs to be treated and gotten gotten out of the system, removed from the system, and then person will respond to Lyme treatment.
0: So, in Oregon, particularly, that's very challenging because yeah. it's such a damp climate we live in, and we know that mold is pervasive in people's homes, and right, et cetera.
1: It's a it's a huge issue, Ellen. Yeah.
0: So you're to- really talking about Something we call in naturopathic medicine the terrain or the health. Of, I mean, if there's a genetic defect and that that's not your fault, you know, that's Correct. just part of your structure. But then, how if there's a genetic defect, how do you treat that in, that mold issue in the body that's concurrent with Lyme?
1: Right. So, um, well, we we want to make sure that the person doesn't have a. If we find that they have the genetic defect. I also do a, a urine mycotoxin test. They come back positive, we have to make sure they're not currently being exposed. Maybe they were exposed when they were growing up 30 years ago and the uh, accumulation of events over the course of their life has now made them you know, sick. Um, and so we wanna make sure they're not currently being exposed so that we're not swimming upstream while we're trying to treat them. And then we do, uh, a lot of things to help clear the mold from the GI tract, from the sinuses, and and from the cells in the body. Um, and so that you mentioned the terrain, and the, the terrain is a big piece of this um, with Lyme treatment. And so even medical doctors, you know, ILADS, the organization who we had talked about earlier, um, is made up of predominantly medical doctors. And what they have realized is that antibiotics alone is not a successful treatment for Lyme disease in most cases because um it's more than just about the infection um and there's there's a lot of there's multiple um aspects to treating Lyme disease one is detoxing the system getting rid of tox toxins in the body because um the question is why does you know there's people that get exposed to Borrelia and they don't ever get sick
0: that's the bacteria Yeah, the bacteria yes mm-hmm. there's
1: people that gets exposed to the bacteria that causes Lyme that don't get sick and there's people that do what what are the difference makers and f- so naturopathic philosophy you know in Chinese medicine we talk a lot about the terrain you know so Certain people will have, over the course of life, we all get exposed to toxins in our environment, in our food, and different traumatic events that happen to us, you know, stressors, mental, emotional stressors. And over time, these things accumulate and cause impact on our system. And then if we had gotten exposed to Borrelia, say, 20 years ago, but never really had symptoms then the immune system starts to get knocked down by these different toxins that are accumulating in our system. And then that Borrelia, that organism that causes Lyme could start to take hold. That's one, one of the things I'm seeing. So there's people that I'm seeing that have been sick for that are say 50 years old. They've been sick now for 20 years. Have been to uh, you know 10, 20, 30 doctors and have not gotten a diagnosis. Um, they had a tick. We kn- they have a known tick bite when they were seven years old when they grew up on the East Coast, um, but didn't get. S- we're not sick in teenage years. Um, we're not sick through college and then got sick. Um, so, you know. One of the concepts that's important to know about and is that you know, there, there can be a peaceful coexistence where we can get exposed to different organisms. And if our immune system is strong and our body is functioning in a healthy state, then we can ward them off. And they might just peacefully coexist in our body and never cause a problem. But once things start accumulating in our body, then our system can become compromised and those infections can take hold.
0: Wow. That's uh, not a pretty picture. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it, but it is a treatable disease. That's um, good to know. Yeah.
0: And, how, you know, I mean, when you say it's treatable, like like this person you talked about who had Lyme for 20 years, I mean, how long do you think it really, how long have you seen that it takes for people to improve and and, and build up their vitality and strength?
1: Yeah. Um, it, it's a case-by-case case basis but I'd say on average two to three years this is yeah it's I mean if if this is a person that's just been sick for six to twelve months then of course it's going to be much quicker than that but many people have been plagued with you know accumulation of toxins and different kinds of infections over the years and so it's not a short-term treatment it There's detoxing the system. There's repairing the damage that's caused by the infection. You know, it can it can cause damage to the different hormones, like the thyroid, the adrenals. um, You know, the sex hormones, like for female, if they're it can damage their ovaries where they have a they're not producing enough progesterone or estrogen. Um, it you know can affect the GI tract and cause leaky gut, um, the heart, the joints, the muscles, the skin. So we have to do a lot of repair work too, on top of you know trying to target and eradicate the infection.
0: What are some um what are some resources for, you've already mentioned a few the Montana Pharmacy and, and some different labs, but what are some resources people could go to if they want to find out more?
1: Yeah, so a great website is um, by one of the past presidents of ILADS. Um, his website, is his name is Daniel Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N. And I think the website, if you just Google Daniel Cameron, um,
0: Lyme. Lime.
1: You'll come up. You'll come up. But I think it's Daniel Cameron, M.D. Um, M is in Mary D is in doctor. Mm-hmm. Dot com. And it has an, a wealth of information about ever about all kinds of topics around Lyme disease. Um, so that's great. Um, there's uh, an herbalist, Stephen Buhner, who's written multiple books, but his second edition of Healing Lyme that just came out in the last year or two. Is a wealth of information. It's all um, documented, you know, researched um, and substantiated by research. A wealth of information. Um, there's a book called "Why Can't I Get Better?" by Dr. Richard Horowitz. H O R O W I T Z. He's a medical doctor in upstate New York, one of the leading Lyme experts in the world. Um, it's an amazing book for both uh, lay people and practitioners. Has a wealth of information. Um, he actually has in that book a questionnaire, a Lyme screening questionnaire, which I also will sometimes use in my practice, but it's great for other practitioners or for lay people to take. If a person scores over f- 46 points on their questionnaire, the probability of li- them having Lyme disease is, is high.
0: Okay, so uh, Dr. Messenger, if people want to reach you, how can they?
1: Um, my uh practice uh, is called Portland Natural Medicine um and so the website is portlandnaturalmedicine.org or 503-239-1022 um, if they're calling to schedule an appointment um I'm, I'm limited on the new patients I'm taking but if they say tell the front desk that they heard me on the radio show then they, we can get them in
0: fantastic well we have been speaking with Dr. Tom Messenger on the treatment of Lyme disease. This has been extraordinarily informative and helpful and I hope to our listeners too. Thank you so much Dr. Messenger for being with us today on Health
1: Watch. Uh, you're welcome, Ellen. Thank you.
0: You can listen to this episode and more episodes of Health Watch online at k-bo- kboo.org/healthwatch.
2: KBOO hosts a monthly film series at the Clinton Street Theatre, called KBOO at the Clinton. This month, we'll screen the film tomorrow, on Thursday, July 13th, at 7pm. The documentary, Tomorrow, sets out to showcase alternative and creative ways of viewing agriculture, economics, energy, and education. It offers constructive solutions to act on a local level to make a difference on a global level. Instead of showing all the worst that can happen, this documentary focuses on the people suggesting solutions and their actions. Again, that's a film screening of the documentary tomorrow, Thursday, July 13th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater, 2522 Southeast Clinton Street in Portland. More information can be found at kbu.fm. On the right side of the homepage under Community Events.
0: You're listening to Intersections Radio, the podcast where we geek out on all things intersectionality. I'm your host, Sarika Mehta. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Today, my guest is Sandhya Menon. She's the author of the young adult teen romance, When Dimple Met Rishi. And this is her debut novel. When Dimple Met Rishi is the quintessential romance story, with the exception that it's from the rare perspective at least in young adult literature,